Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we feature women who are nailing it in life. Hello and welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast. This is Julie Fetterman, your host, and thank you for tuning in. This is the space where we're creating a platform for impressive women to inspire the world and certainly welcome to you joining us in on our journey. What we're going to do is, like some of our other episodes, we're going to read a couple of great reviews, and I want to take a moment to encourage all of you who haven't actually written a review yet to please take 30 seconds out of your day to either on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, or maybe some new places we haven't thought about reviewing yet that we're showing up on. It really makes a huge, huge impact to us. And this is the easiest way for you to help encourage us to keep doing what we're doing and move things forward. It also helps with boosting our rankings in podcasts to be able to help uh, share this out to more listeners broadly. So thank you to everyone who has graciously done so. And as a thank you, we're going to read a few of them right now. Explore with Olya says, cool podcast, love the discussions. This podcast is refreshing. Ooh, like a soft drink or something. Cocktail. (laughs) The topics discussed are very relevant in today's society, and there is something interesting and exciting in each episode. Waiting for more. Pantia says, love the dialogue between Julie and her guests. This is a great platform to showcase all of the talented women and to highlight their stories. It's actually very refreshing and inspirational. Man, really should like get a drink with our name on it or something. We're so refreshing. Uh, I am all for women celebrating other women and this podcast just does that. Keep up the good work, Julie. Looking forward to more podcasts. And we'll round it out with this one. Legit lady, legit show. I've had the pleasure, not pleasure. I've had the pleasure of having met Julie some time ago uh, dancing in Toronto. And she has always impressed me as a vibrant and interesting young woman with a lot on the go from traveling, work, expressing herself on the dance floor and performance. And now she has put together a podcast highlighting the achievements of other strong women. I am not surprised in the slightest that this project, too, is off to a strong start. I've just started listening on my commute, and I'm eager to catch up on all the episodes and look forward to enjoying more to come. Oh, thank you. That's such a great review. Rock on. All right. In the spirit of the holidays, I came across this fantastic story that warmed the cockles of my heart. And the story was apparently originally published on December 14th, 1982 in the Women's Day magazine by Nancy W. Gavin. And it was actually the first place winner out of thousands of entries in the magazine's My Most Moving Holiday Tradition contest. And uh, I I thought this was a really great story. I'm going to take a few minutes to actually read the whole story through um, because I thought it was Very, very touching and actually something that if I uh, actually did Christmas um, with the whole tree and all that stuff, that this would actually be something that I would like to do as a tradition myself. So maybe this will inspire some of you if you observe the holiday to do something a little bit different. And the story is called The White Envelope. It's just a small white envelope stuck among branches of our Christmas tree. No name, no identification, no inscription. 
It has peeked through the branches of our tree for the past 10 years or so. It all began because my husband, Mike, hated Christmas. Oh, not the true meaning of Christmas, but the commercial aspects of it. Overspending, the frantic running around at the last minute to get a tie for Uncle Harry, and the dusting powder for Grandma. The gifts given in desperation because you couldn't think of anything else. Knowing he felt this way, I decided one year to bypass the usual shirts, sweaters, ties, and so forth. I reached for something special just for Mike. The inspiration came in an unusual way. Our son, Kevin, who was 12 that year, was wrestling at the junior level at the school he attended, and shortly before Christmas, there was a non-league match against a team sponsored by an inner-city church. The youngsters, dressed in sneakers so ragged that shoestrings seemed to be the only thing holding them together, presented a sharp contrast to our boys in their spiffy blue and gold uniforms and sparkling new wrestling shoes. As the match began, I was alarmed to see that the other team was wrestling without headgear, a sort of kind of light helmet designed to protect a wrestler's ears. It was a luxury the ragtag team obviously couldn't afford. Well, we ended up walloping them. We took every weight class, and as each of the boys got up from the mat, he swaggered around in his tatters with false bravado, a kind of street pride that couldn't acknowledge defeat. Mike, seated beside me, shook his head sadly and said, quote, I wish just one of them could have won. He said, they have a lot of potential, but losing like this could take the heart right out of them. Mike loved kids, all kids, and he knew them having coached Little League football, baseball and lacrosse. That's when the idea for this present came. That afternoon, I went to a local sporting goods store and bought an assortment of wrestling headgear and shoes and sent them anonymously to the inner city church. On Christmas Eve, I placed the envelope on the tree, the note inside telling Mike what I had done and that this gift was his gift from me. His smile was the brightest thing about Christmas that year and in succeeding years. For each Christmas, I followed the tradition. One year, sending a group of handicapped youngsters to a hockey game. Another year, a check to a pair of elderly brothers whose home had burned to the ground the week before Christmas, and on and on. The envelope became the highlight of our Christmas. It was always the last thing opened on Christmas morning, and our children, ignoring their new toys, would stand with wide-eyed anticipation as their dad lifted the envelope from the tree to reveal its contents. As the children grew, the toys gave way to more practical presents, but the envelope never lost its allure. The story doesn't end there. You see, we lost Mike last year due to dreaded cancer. When Christmas rolled around, I was still so wrapped up in grief that I barely got the tree up. But Christmas Eve found me placing an envelope on the tree, and in the morning, it was joined by three more. Each of our children, unbeknownst to the others, had placed an envelope on the tree for their dad. The tradition has grown and someday will expand even further with our grandchildren standing to take down the envelope. Mike's spirit, like the Christmas spirit, will always be with us. So this story moved me in ways I could only begin to start to share right now. And I don't even celebrate Christmas. (laughs) 
I thought this was so refreshing to hear a way to celebrate this type of holiday that has now become so commercialized where people really do get wrapped up in what they're going to give someone, no pun intended, instead of actually thinking about making a bigger impact in our own local sphere, or maybe something even bigger. I really like the surprise element of this. I love surprises. Maybe that's just me. And I hope this story helps inspire you to think about how you celebrate these types of holidays in a slightly different way. Think about something nice you can do for someone. And uh, think about how you're inspiring younger generations of people to look at these types of holidays a little bit differently. All right. Our guest this week is an absolute powerhouse. She's an inspiration and has been an inspiration of mine since I was back in high school. I was in performing arts and as a triple threat, and I'd actually say that was kind of false because this woman helped me cobble my way through being not terrible at singing for a while. And I took regular singing lessons with this lady and she stuck by me through a lot of tears and frustration of me not being so great <laughs> to be uh, a, a little less terrible. And this woman, she is the winner of the 2018 award for uh, social issues. It's a bronze tally award for an episode of her TV show as the international TV host of Cindy Uncorked on E360 TV. She's the CEO of Speaker Stardom. She's been featured in Inc. Magazine, Investment News, ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, a lot of letters. She's actually the winner of the highest call to service award from Barack Obama. That's Super cool. And the Di Diamond Jubilee Medal from Queen Elizabeth II. So ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce my interview with Cindy Ashton. Happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. Yay. Okay, wonderful. Well, so you have had a whirlwind happen in your life. You are just picking up. You've moved across the country. Several times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> across borders, across coasts. That's incredible. And so right now you've just moved to, is it New York or New Jersey? Um, well, I just say the New York City area, but I'm going to be on the Jersey side right on the river. So then I can get in the city within like minutes. Amazing. Yeah, I'm super wow. excited. That's cool. And you were coming from, you were in California, right? I was in San Diego for a year. Amazing. How was that? Um, <laughs> okay. So, I mean, San Diego is a, a, a stunning, stunning, beautiful, oh. beautiful city. I think that if you're born as an East Coaster and you're used to the hustle and the bustle and you're and you love the fall leaves, I mean the beach is lovely to have nearby. The weather is amazing. It the nature is beautiful. But I'm a person that after about two or three weeks of it, I'm like, okay, I'm bored. What's next? It's, it's, it hasn't <laughs> rained in ever. Um, 
Hello, is there is there leaves that are going to change? Is there something? Oh, look, another palm tree and another and another <laughs> and like another. So San Diego <laughs> is actually really an amazing place, but I think that it's just a lifestyle thing. And for me, I need vibrancy. I need hip. I need I need things to move, and I need to like not have to get in my car to go somewhere. I just want to like run up and down subways and jump over dead rats in the subways, and <laughs> and you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a personality thing and I'm an yeah. East Coaster I'm used to the hustle I'm used to honking and swearing at people when I'm driving I mean it, you have to be nicer in California <laughs> <laughs> really I, that surprises me because you think California you do think you know maybe it's more of an like an LA thing where, I don't know you people know? are so super sweet there really listen I'm all about being kind and nice I'm yeah. only half joking about the swearing um, as I'm driving <laughs> but you know they drive very they're just not defensive drivers there because they've never had to be defensive drivers right Right. that's they don't drive in snow and blizzards like we do we're tougher (laughs) we've got thicker skin but honestly the people there are so lovely and really it's a great place to go to just people are so helpful and they're slower and they take time for you it's lovely i just need like let's do this and that's what got you moving to new jersey (sighs) Oh, that's a long story, but it's a bunch of stuff, partially because most of my staff on my team are East Coast and waking up at six in the morning with a hundred emails from your staff because they're all awake and working already. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. don't want this at six in the morning. Part of it is that it's time for me to reignite the singing part of my career and that's in New York. And part of it is I have aging parents and I want to be able to be an hour flight versus six away from them. So it's a lot of different reasons in addition to the buzz, giving me the buzz. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. You were you're born in Burlington. I was born in Burlington, raised oh. in Mississauga. Not too far. Not too far. I'm a proud <laughs> Canadian. I'm a proud moose-loving Canuck. Yeah. Woo-hoo! Yay. Amazing. I know. I love being Canadian. Oh, well, I'm so glad we were able to catch you here during your visit. I know. I was so happy when you, when you messaged me. I'm like, well, of course, it's Julie. Of course, I'm going to come out and do an interview. <laughs> So it was perfect. I was very honored that you asked me. Thank you. Amazing. Well, I couldn't have thought of a better person. If I'm thinking about someone who is so strong and so driven and quite accomplished, especially. Thank you. I mean, I've been tracking your stuff, man. Girl, <laughs> you are you are nailing it. <laughs> like the, the literal tagline of the podcast. Like you are nailing it right now. Thank you. I I'm appreciated so it. I feel very, very um, blessed. I mean, I know I work hard, but a lot of people work hard. So I feel like I'm really blessed Amazing. that it's all opening up. Cool. Well, yeah. listen, so I, I know I caught you in the midst of a super busy time. Um, but in the podcast, what we do is we actually get to know you through 10 main questions and we talk a lot in between. And so what I want to do is I want to dive right in and kick it off with question one, which is what advice would you give to your teenage self? You're worth more than you believe that you are. Yeah. Oof. Wow. Yeah. I was a suicidal, severely depressed teenager that used to self-mutilate. So I never thought I was pretty enough. I never thought I was good enough. I never thought I was smart enough. Um, there must have been that 1% of me that did because I didn't. I, I did half-assed suicide attempts. I didn't fully go through it. Mm. Um, you know, you're slitting your wrist, and you're, not, and you're just cutting a little bit, but you're not really digging in. You know, you don't really want to die, but you're trying to get attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there was that one percent of me that must have believed that somewhere in there I was worth something. But um, yeah, if I could go back to my teenage self, I would tell her that she's loved and that she's beautiful 
and that she's just being told a whole bunch of lies that just aren't true and to just breathe into her body and and get back to her truth of who she is that is powerful and i mean that's that's a tough time and that's a tough thing to be going through and unfortunately that's a thing that so many people have yeah. dealt with and are probably in the midst of dealing with today yeah where do you think that stuff came from or was it a few different sources it's interesting because I think that it was a few different sources when, you know, I was born with heart failure and a 20% chance of living. And, you know, my whole message growing up, I mean, they obviously saved my life, but, you know, multiple heart surgeries and the whole left side of my body was damaged. So I had to learn how to walk, you know, growing up, I learned had to have speech therapy to learn how to speak and, and all these surgeries, living in pain and missing, you know, one fourth to one third of my education every year because I was just so sick. You know, so that was a lot of it. When you've gone through any kind of trauma, normally when we think of trauma, we think of somebody who's been abused or assaulted. Mm -hmm. um, we don't often think about health problems and surgeries, but they're a trauma to the body. They're a trauma to the soul. They're a trauma to the psyche. And so a lot of it really was part of that is that I was living in a sick body that was told that she wouldn't survive past her teens. And I grew up with that burden growing up and having to fight so hard and the belief that i had as a child is why and i was raised as a christian and now i consider myself spiritual potpourri um, <laughs> I love i'm a little buddhist a little bit of buddhist in my life a little bit of hindi in my life i'm seriously like just a whole mix of stuff i kind of pull from you know whatever feels like it's inspiring me now but i was raised you know in um a christian household and we weren't really that Christian, but I still remember going to church feeling like, and this isn't all Christian churches. So I want to mm -hmm. be clear because you have good and bad in every single thing on this planet. Sure. And, but I specifically was felt the growing up of the God will punish you if you are a sinner. And I felt like, well, I must be a horrible person and I must be, a, you know, to have been punished to be so sick and punished to be in this body and punished, you know, to be so ugly and to be the kid that was bullied because I was so weird looking and I had big scars on my bodies and on my body. And, and I was, and I am Arab. Um, I, I'm first generation Canadian. And so I had an Arabic last name, which I changed. I bought myself white privilege. Essentially, I'm a, I will look white, mm -hmm. but I'm Middle Eastern and I essentially bought myself white privilege when I was 16. So it was really just a combination of living in a highly traumatized body and not getting the help for it. No, blame to parents we simply didn't know what we didn't know mm -hmm. now we understand more about trauma and thanks to trump really thanks to trump we're having conversations about me too mm -hmm. we're talking about trauma in different ways than we did before and we're starting to understand it a little bit better um but it was definitely the trauma in my body it was a trauma to my soul it was i would say um religious trauma Mm -hmm. um, that I was dealing with. It was being bullied and beaten up on the playground for either being too ugly or being Arab or whatever it was. So it was just, it was just a combination of never being enough, never feeling like I wasn't worthy to live because I wasn't supposed to live and feeling like I deserved to be punished. So it really was a bunch of different, it was just all layered on top of layers. And if it wasn't for my singing and dancing and my and that one percent of me that wanted to be a performer since I was a fetus, I, I would be dead. It really was the arts and knowing since I was a fetus that I was destined for what I'm doing now. And I'm actually not even fully doing what I was destined to do. I'm very close now. It's been a lifetime. 
I've done a lot of amazing things, but the thing I really want is what I'm stepping into in New York now. That is one hell of a story, Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> to, to put it bluntly, that's, that's incredible. Um, it's very funny because you brought up so many themes all in one. And I think it's it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff to be conscious of. So talking about organized religion and that uh, victim and blaming type mentality that can be really, really hardcore there. Yeah. You know, hey, this is your fault, even though this is something that really isn't actually your fault. And a lot of the guilt that can come along with that. And obviously all of these terrible symptoms. Right. Yeah. And you know, and then our Western medical system of telling people, hey, yeah, just so you know, this is this this isn't going to work out for you. You're going to be dead by 14. <laughs> right? Like how, how I'm 43 <laughs> still kicking around. I'm like, stand back, bitches. Right? <laughs> like, how how can how that like it baffles me. That's why I'm having a hard time even spitting this out. Like, how can you continue on to absolutely crush life and absolutely thrive when you're being told by medical professionals and we've been very much socialized to believe what they they say exactly and and still be able to thrive and make it through and do all these amazing things how how can you do that what inside of you i know you say you know it's it's my performing arts my passion but what else what's taken you through that yeah i think that i'm blessed in the sense that i was born ready to die and that gives a person a fight or flight, which is good, but it's also been a lifetime of training myself not to fight so hard and learn to receive mm-hmm. and let things be easier than being stuck in struggle because I've had to struggle and fight so hard to even survive and overcome everything that it's literally been a lifetime of recognizing that and going, what does ease and grace look like? What does it take to do take effort? Because you need to take effort in life, mm-hmm. but without the pain and the struggle mm-hmm. and with the ease and the allowance and the feminine energy and allowing it in. So it's been a lifetime, but I really believe that part of it is just because I was born having to fight. So that was part of it. But I honestly believe that it was, I mean, when people are like, oh, well, when did you know you want to be a performer? And I'm like, literally when I was a fetus, it was a soul's calling. I've known it. Even when I was teaching singing, I mean, that's how we met. I was your singing teacher. <laughs> By the way, Julie has a great voice. I, I um, don't know about this, but yes, 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 she does. Receive girl, receive girl. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> no um, solos are happening right now well, on my side. Um, <laughs> you go ahead. You're amazing. No, it's all good. Um, but I do. I do think that it's just something that I've known inside of me. So when I used to teach singing, I'd have students go, oh, should I be a performer or not? And I'm like, if you have to ask that, the answer is no, because I've known it my entire life. It's just a knowing. So I really just, it's a knowing that this is what I was supposed to do. That's amazing. So for people who are involved in the performing arts and they have that whisper of a doubt or maybe more than a whisper of a doubt whether that that's what they want to do right (laughs) am i really supposed to do this i know what does that mean am i really supposed to do it (laughs) well what would be your advice for them because you said hey this is something i've known and i've wanted to follow through with since i was born yeah if they have that whisper or yelling of a doubt (laughs) because it happens get back to yourself we have a society that plays on us all the time. Fake news. Fake news was happening way before Trump came into office. Mm-hmm. You know, we've always been manipulated. We've always been told that we as women are not pretty enough. We're not skinny enough. We're not white enough. We're not whatever. Um, 
we've always, we're always being shamed. The media is set up to shame us and put us in a fear space. So whenever there is doubt, regardless if it comes to your own performing or anything in life, it's about getting back to your own truth and removing all the lies, removing all the masks. And just, and I'm a big believer in learning to drop into your body, you know, and really get and remove all the gunk and just trust yourself. Start to learn how to trust yourself and trust your own power. Mm -hmm. Because when you can remove all those voices and you're not engaging the drama, then what do you have left is this amazing power that's inside of you. Regardless of whether you're religious or not, you came from something bloody powerful to have created you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you get back into your own body? Because you've said this a couple of times, and I feel like this is yeah. something that I'm in the process of trying to figure out myself, and I'm sure a lot of people all try to, yeah. you know, like they, a lot of people try to look to yoga and other, you know, other right. physical things to try to experience that. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, it's been a lifetime of having to figure this out. So here's what I think is most effective. Um, on a very simple level, it is about learning just to breathe in and exhale all your air nice and long and stimulating your parasympathetic nervous system, which you do when you exhale longer than you inhale. Just make sure you exhale all the air or else you're going to end up getting dizzy because you've left yeah. toxins in your body. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but and just really starting to feel your feet, really spread your toes out, spread your feet out, feel yourself, feel your body. Um, I'm a, you know, that's on a simple level. Tantra has been a big part of my life and working with l releasing trauma. So what, what is Tantra? Okay. So let me, I just know the sexy version of it. Yeah. <laughs> the sexy version is fantastic. I've done both. Um, Go on. <laughs> I know. I want to put that on a dating profile that you have to be. Anyways, that's a whole other story. I, I want to hear more of that. Totally terrified. Um, <laughs> people reading that, they're like, um, so. <laughs> and I am a sex goddess. Just no <laughs> big deal. That, but I know Pressure's on. No pressure. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Tantra. So no, what no. was Tantra? So I want to, before I explain Tantra and trauma. Yes. Working through. My challenge with the whole self-help stuff around your thoughts create reality, this whole thing about being positive, you know, all these kinds of things, all this talk therapy. Well, I think it's helpful to be, you know, talking through your issues and cognitive of them. I think that's essential. Trauma sits in the body and there are studies after studies after studies how, especially for women, how trauma sits in the bodies and actually in our bodies and actually change our brain. So if you're ever curious, the best book I've read so far is Vagina by Naomi Wolf. And it literally mm -hmm. talks about study after study, how even if a woman falls down the stairs and it wasn't even a sexual trauma, how because, you know, the vagus nerves and so many of our nerves go down our spine and tap into our pelvic floor, um, because of that, it actually you know, that trauma sits in our cells and it sits in our pelvic floor. So a lot of women having miscarriages, endometriosis, painful sex, not getting, you know, pregnant, all these things are actually tied to trauma in the body. And meanwhile, they're trying to do all these really expensive treatments and trying to, and they're not, and we just don't talk about this. Mm. And I've gotten death threats for actually talking about this in the US. Um, what? Because yeah, I got a death threat when I did my <gasps> um, episode on my TV show about how, how trauma sits in women's vaginas. And Anyway, so I got a death threat. It freaked the living crap out of me. Apparently, I'm going to hell. And if I talk about this again, I'm, you know, and I'm like, dude, you understand you were born from a vagina. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's irony for you. Oh, Lordy, you realize that you F1. 
yeah. occasionally or a lot. Right. You realize it's giving you pleasure. You're an idiot. Um, <laughs> you might actually want to help your woman to release trauma so you can have better sex with her. Just saying. Anyways. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about with repression again? <laughs> <laughs> right. Small details. Small right. details. Small details. <laughs> so what it comes down to is that we're... I think because of the Me Too movement, we're really only starting to talk about this more publicly. Mm. But when trauma, it's great to do talk therapy and be positive and try all that. But we actually have to deal with trauma at the cellular level and on the physical level. Mm. So for me, I did a lot of coaching. I've seen psychiatrists. Thankfully, no one's ever put me on drugs. Um, very blessed that. And I probably would have said no because I'm very you know, unless yeah. I, I'm a big, I mean, doctors saved my life and I'm blessed by that. But I think that there's got to be a better balance between holistic and, and medical, in yeah. my opinion. So when I say beyond, when we go deeper than just learning to breathe and be present in your body, um, it's very hard to be present in your body when you're traumatized and you're triggered all the time. And it's hard to trust yourself and trust your intuition because sometimes that intuition is coming more from your trauma than it is from your truth. Mm. So it's about unraveling those layers. Um, some of those, so in terms of releasing trauma, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, I could tell you how I've done it, but um, there's lots of ways. There's one of the ways I've done it is I've been working with an amazing coach for years, Dana Ferrant. She she works with the dominatrix um, archetype. So it's a, it's like the energy of a dominatrix, and she does stuff that just totally releases a trauma out of the body. It's crazy. She doesn't even touch you. So it's not like, it's, it's not a sexual thing. Yeah, no whips. At all. No whips, no fires, <laughs> no chaining me up. Um, but, but she takes me through these things that literally just releases a trauma from my body. So that's been highly effective for me. Um, part of it has been on a physical level from the, all the heart surgeries and other surgeries, actually getting help for it, working with massage therapists on scar tissue to release that trauma. So part of it's being physical trauma, learning to, you know, working with chiropractors, massage therapists, osteopaths. So part of it's physical trauma that I had to get my body back in shape. Mm -hmm. Um, part of it has been tantra and tantric sex. So I don't know how detailed we can go into this. Oh yeah. This Anything is a else. free space. Yeah. Free space. So. <laughs> Tantra essentially is in a mind, it's really about being mindful. So if you want to do something that's, that's non-sexual in front of me right now is a, is a pumpkin and it's about <laughs> understanding sensation. Right. Um, so right now I'm touching this pumpkin and it's not, nothing sexual right now, but I'm just closing my eyes and I'm just being present with it. And I'm like, okay, so there's a little curve here and there's a longer line here and it's round and it's fun to kind of move in my hands and it feels a little bit cold. And that seems silly, but it's actually a really great way to become present because you're just focusing on the sensation. Mm. And so on the sexual side, um, I, I have to say it's still the most action this pumpkin has gotten in a while. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I know the pumpkin looks very, very happy. Look at the pumpkin. The pumpkin is smiling right now. I love it. Pumpkin's turned on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, it's good. But but we've also shut down our sexuality as women because of all the abuse we've taken for centuries and centuries. And the book Vagina actually in the second half goes through how the progression of how women's suppression has actually happened. Right. So it's 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 my big like, go read it. It's disturbing though when you actually understand it. It's really upsetting. But it's education and we need to be educated about what really goes on. Um, Otherwise, we're in The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> oh, Lordy. <laughs> so if you have so if you have the right sexual partner, mm -hmm. they can help you with sexual healing, even if you haven't had a sexual assault as your past. Mm. 
Um, so that's one of the things is I have this wonderful man in New York when I was living there and about to live there again, where we practiced. And a lot of times we didn't even have sex, but we did sexual things. Mm -hmm. But it was more about finding where trigger points were and breathing through them and trusting that I was safe. For right. example, I'm trying not to get graphic. No, um, no, you can get but graphic. There's also cool. something, there's also <laughs> things called like deliberate orgasm where men can take or women um, could take this and work with their female partner and learning how to use sexual energy to re to rejuvenate their bodies and to heal. So there's a lot of really interesting work that's happening in a lot of these different circles. The challenge is you have to be very careful who you work with because again, there's abuse in that and there um, like it's a, like everything, right? Yeah. And religion, you have really amazing human beings who who walk Jesus' talk and are beautiful and amazing, and then you have those who use it as a, as punishment, and and it gets cult like the self help world. There is so much abuse in that world in terms of shaming and you know just to be able to you know sell snake oil to desperate people who are going through a hard time. So mm -hmm. it's the same thing with this world is you have to be careful who you partner with mm -hmm. and but it's another really effective way because you're going right to where the trauma is and you're releasing it and we do need to talk about healthy sexuality mm -hmm. as we learn to actually embrace our healthy sexuality that's where our power is especially for women i mean if you think about it we have amazing wombs i mean we grow babies in there and we push them out of our bodies i mean we create life it's truly amazing we are so unbelievably brilliant and strong and imagine if we can do that if we can get the trauma out of there we are endlessly in our power and in our pleasure and our ability to be creative um and so when we're carrying trauma it causes depression, it causes mental health issues, um, it causes us to be having panic attacks and anxiety and always in fear. And But if we can release that trauma, and I've only talked about the ways I've done it, there's other ways mm -hmm. to do it, but it has to be at the cellular level. Well, I've learned something today. <laughs> like that's, that's incredible. You never know what's going to come out of my mouth, right? <laughs> and, and so that partner that you did a lot of this work yes. with, that wasn't just someone you met in the bar and you're like, hey, no, do you want to have some great tantric sex no. together? Like, <laughs> right. How, how did how did you, who, how did that come to be? We met at a meetup, um, a meditation meetup. Okay. And, um, and, and I had just moved to New York and he's like, hey, we should go, let me take you to dinner. And I'm like, dude, I just moved to New York. I don't have time for you. Da, da, da. He's like, <laughs> he was like persistent for like five months. I'm like, fine, I'm not into you. Although I really do like Jamaican men. They're gorgeous and they're cute. And so I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> and then we just went to dinner and we got talking and and um, we talked about it. And he said, you know, I would like to practice this with you. And I said, well, I don't know you that well. So let's just get to know each other. And it was slow for the first few months getting to know each other and building trust. Mm. Um, I think some people might jump in faster, but I'm, you know, I'm a little suspicious of people sometimes. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Especially in the U.S. You know, I know Canadian U.S., that's a whole <laughs> kettle well, of Well, there's sometimes. wonderful people of there course, as well. Of course. There's wonderful people that I've been blessed to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they do. There is the crime rates are significantly higher in the U.S., but they also have a significant higher population. But that's a whole other talk we don't need to go into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's how we met. And I just took my time getting to know him. And then we had agreements. And this is actually the really important point is that it's really important to set what the agreements are and what the intentions are. Um, 
Otherwise, it gets really muddy. It's like, this is what this is and this is what it's not. It is not dating. Mm -hmm. This is we are doing a spiritual practice. We are focusing on sensation and being present and releasing trauma. Our intention is this. Um, we are not dating. It is very, very clear. Mm -hmm. um, and that's important is that it's regardless of any relationship or any partnership or anything you do in your life, you always want to have clear boundaries. But again, I had a coach who was a former dominatrix. And as a dominatrix, you can't go to any situation without actually pre-planning. -pre -pre here are the boundaries, here are the safe words, here's what's gonna happen, here's the role-playing, mm -hmm. here's what I'm gonna negotiate. And so when I was working with my former dominatrix, Dana, um, I would go into a business meeting and she'd be like, well, what are you willing to bend on? What aren't you willing to bend on? What's your, what's, what's your going to be your, your word to go? Nope, not doing it, walking away. What's going to be the yes. So mm -hmm. that's a huge reason why I built my business faster and my career faster is because I was able to go in with boundaries and clarity and what I would compromise and what I wouldn't and what I needed. That's huge. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think another key piece is that communication plan, if and when these boundaries change or need to change. What if you're getting involved in this thing and then suddenly right. emotions do come out? This is something that we want to maybe move towards the dating arena. I mean, I think those are conversations that many of us are not comfortable having. We don't in society ever have healthy conversations around sexuality, around dating. Mm -hmm. There's so much shame around it. I've had to, it's taken me a lifetime to learn to, embrace my sexuality and, you know, um, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other topic, but some people get freaked out because if I'm on a date with someone on the first date, I will ask, do you prefer a more monogamous lifestyle or polyamorous lifestyle? And they're like, what? And I'm like, are you vanilla in the bedroom? Are you into kink? Are you into, yeah. and they're looking at me like, but these are really important things to know. You're a what? straight shooter. Like they're, used, they're used to the sugar coating and like yeah. talking around the topic and right. it just waiting for it to come up naturally. And you're right. like, this is, this is the worst way to go about it. Well, it is. And then I hear people going, well, but we were dating for six months. I thought we were monogamous. I'm like, well, did you have the conversation? Small detail. And it's like, well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that he or she will, you know, eventually want to be in a relationship. I'm like, well, <sighs> you know, I also say, what's your dating purpose? Yeah. Are you the type that just wants to date and have fun? Cool. That's cool. Are you the type that wants to date for a while, but eventually wants to be in a relationship? Like, are you like, tell me what you're like. I think it's just way too much for most people because nobody has these conversations and they're, they, it seems so obvious, but we're so wrapped up in our junk because nobody has healthy sexuality topics or our, our, our conversations in society. We don't talk about it in a way that's real. That is... <sighs> That is amazing because I've always instinctively tried to be very open and having a lot yeah. of these conversations, especially when I was single and dating and all of that great stuff. But some of those questions you just mentioned, some of those ideas, like what's your dating purpose? That should really be the real <laughs> first date conversation that we're having, not yeah. like the, so what What do you do? And what do you, you know, yeah. do you have any siblings? Isn't that, I mean, those things are, are fine and good to know, but I, I think to your point, being able to get to the real deal, people's motivations, people's real intentions, at least to what they think they are, is going to actually better help you understand, is this a real opportunity for me? Is this going to be an add to my life or is this going to be a potential detractor? Yeah. So with that being said, I want to move on to question two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I mean. I'm like, oh my gosh, I know this woman's amazing and has so much to share. Uh, Number two is, what's your proudest accomplishment? Uh, 
to me, my proudest accomplishment is how fierce I have been and dedicated I have been to releasing my trauma and finding my truth and stepping into it as hard as it has been. I mean, it has taken me to the US to have a more global career and has bravely spent $160,000 to go through multiple rounds of immigration to, until I got my green card. It has, I mean, I've just, it's, I've literally done stuff that people would go, that most people wouldn't have the gumption to even think about doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to dig in. Like, that's what I'm proud of. I'm not proud of all my awards. Like, I don't freaking care. Like, I appreciate it, but I don't do what I do for my awards. Everyone's like, you got an award from the president. I'm like, who cares? And I mean, although it's from the good one. Um, <laughs> it's from the cute one that has a good marriage and doesn't cheat or grab pussies. Um, <laughs> um, Gee, I wonder which one that one is. I don't know. <laughs> I was offered one from the new one and I said, no, um, no, thanks. I don't need another board for good. I've already got one, one from the good one. Um, so yeah, like I, I needed a new, uh, you know, paperweight or something like that. I needed something for the, the yes, dumpster. I know. Um, but honestly, I, it's not my account. It's not the stuff that's on paper that looks really impressive. It's that I, it's, it's no matter what I've been through, no matter how many times I've gotten knocked down, I've been willing to take the risks. I've been willing to do the work. It's not just a physical work in terms of going out and taking, you know, going for an audition or asking for the sale. It's more for me that I was willing to look at myself deeply at all my faults and everything I've been through and look at the dirty, dark, ugly stuff that we don't want to look at. To me, that's what I'm really proud of. Wow. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Uh, curious, when do you feel like you stepped into your truth? It would be layers. It's like every time I think I've stepped into my truth, there's another layer to go. Hmm. Like an onion. It's like an onion. <laughs> or like uh, Shrek says, it's like cake. Or was it? No. No, Shrek or, was the onion. <laughs> Shrek was the onion and donkeys like it was like cake. Either way, it's layers. <laughs> yeah. Layers, like donkey oh. says. I don't even know. I can't do the donkey voice like right now. Like an onion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, anyway. Either way. Go on. But yes, it's like an onion. Yeah. I mean, I so there's always another deeper truth. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm stepping into my deeper truth, moving back to New York mm -hmm. right now. Um, and that just really has to do with my voice. I mean, everything I've ever done has been around voice, whether I was either teaching people to express with their voice or express on stage or screen or me doing it myself. It's always been about voice, but I've always skirted around me being the key singer. And it's not that I haven't done a lot of singing stuff in the past, but I haven't done the big singing stuff. I've done big stuff and everything else, but like I haven't made it to Broadway yet. Like I haven't really like, and I haven't like, and I have a TV show and I get another TV show contract coming through right now. Like, and, it, and that's all me speaking my truth, but this is a deeper, like, so for me, it's always another layer, but I feel like this is the biggest layer that has been my biggest pain in my ass. My life is, is wanting to be first known as the singer. And right now I'm not first known as a singer mm -hmm. because I've been skirting around my deepest truth because you're my voice and everyone's voice is there. Even if they're not a singer, your voice is your greatest power. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> when do you think that first layer was uncovered? I would say when I was getting a divorce. Hmm. When was that? 
Oh, Lordy. Everyone's like, you were married? It was so long ago. It was short and dramatic and to the point. Sponge Um, this from my memory. (laughs) Yeah, it was my pivotal point because, you know, I was the girl that was never liked and I was the girl that was always ugly and then a boy liked me. So I married him, even though I knew deep down in the first month of dating, I had a a dream that said, you need to leave now or else it's going to be a nightmare to leave. Hmm. And and then I had lots of different signs. Like I was at a wedding and I bought the, uh, you know, uh, and I caught the bouquet and some woman broke my nose to take the bouquet away from me. It's a whole other story. It's funny. It's funny what? now. It's fine. She tackled me to get the bouquet out of my hand. If that wasn't a sign that I shouldn't be getting married, I don't know what was. And then there was just a, a bunch of signs. I just didn't listen because I totally believe that I just, I was, for me, I just wanted somebody to love me. And so my deepest truth was, that realization that, and then I felt safe that somebody loved me. And then I was like, great, I'm going to go be the singer. And uh, suddenly it wasn't okay that I was an artist because I thought I was safe with him, but he fell in love with the Cindy that was not the truthful Cindy. Hmm. I don't blame him. I just misrepresented myself because I wasn't standing on my own power. I just wanted to be loved. I didn't show the full me. I was too scared to show him the full me. So when I showed the full me, it wasn't okay. Hmm. And so I think that my my biggest stepping into my truth at that time was when I had looked in myself in the mirror after I got separated. And I said, wow, you must really hate yourself that you allowed somebody to treat you that badly. Hmm. That's truth. And that's when I made the commitment that I can't keep trying because it's an addiction, right? So maybe I've never done drugs and alcohol is an addiction, but I use love as an addiction hmm. to cover up the deeper pain. So that was that moment of stepping into my truth in my darkest moment of I need to take care of this. So that was really the first step mm-hmm. of I need to actually look at myself now because I'm the problem, not him. Yeah, that's an important point that you made. And I think uh, reflecting at least on my own experiences coming from a uh, an additionally kind of traumatic childhood upbringing, a lot of bullying, a lot of that negative shit. Uh, Being able to gain validation from outside sources, whether it was a partner, whether it was other people, and now in a digital era, a lot of it is fulfilled online. It's challenging because you end up living a life intended for show, just to look good and for the validation of others instead of what is really for you? What is authentic? What is authenticity even? I think this is a concept that many of us can barely understand because we're so far removed from what we are being authentic. I feel like social media has been a blessing and a curse because we're looking for validation online Mm -hmm. and it's not real. Yep. (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we and we're disconnected more than ever. I mean, I, yeah. I we're disconnected. Everyone's heads are down. I don't know. Whenever I'm out, I just see everyone's heads down. I'm like, hello, look at a person, talk to a person. Hello, we're here. Yeah. Um, we don't know how to communicate anymore. And yeah, I mean, it, it, social media has the has the ability with one post to destroy a person. And I wonder, and I think that it might have even be contributing to even more mental health issues. I don't know. I don't have the statistics on that, but I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, even from a sample size of my Facebook friends, I can't even count the number of people who have gone through the, hey, I need to delete social media or I need to delete Facebook as an example, because yeah. it's, it's hurting my mental health. And 
when we think about how people are leaning into social media, I think it's a powerful tool for a lot of political change, for a lot of, you know, great social connectivity, like a lot of good stuff. Right. But many of us use it as, whether we know it or not, as a source of comparison. And that comparison really sucks sometimes when you feel like you're not where you should be, need to be, you know, oh, I'm not as skinny. Oh, I'm not as successful. Oh, I'm not as fulfilled, whatever. Right. Based on just what you're seeing from what people are putting out there, which is often not the real truth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We only see the good side. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what it was. There was that year when I went through my surgery and I literally lost everything. I mean, I make my money on stage and I had a major surgery three and a half years ago that literally I, I, within months I lost my six figure salary. I lost everything. I lost my home. I was living with friends and I couldn't even get up and downstairs and nobody knows this. I mean, I've talked a little bit about it now. Um, but I literally had lost everything, but I wasn't talking about it publicly. And in hindsight, maybe I should have, maybe I could have done a GoFundMe, but I didn't because I'm a public figure. And because everybody knows me successful, I didn't feel like I could talk about it. But I still remember at the end of the year, people were like, oh my God, you had, the, you had the most amazing year. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> but, but even me, I didn't share that. I didn't share what was really going on, partially because I didn't need a million voices trying to tell me what to do who did not understand what I was going through. And partially because mm. it's none of anyone's business, right? Mm. But partially because I was doing so well and I was getting all this press and all this other stuff, I didn't want to do anything that I showed weakness and I lost my reputation mm. and that people would stop hiring me because they're, I didn't want people to stop hiring me even though I was sick mm. um, because they thought that I was too sick to work. Hmm. So it was like that weird kind of a place, whereas if I speak up about it, am I gonna lose? Because at that point I was on stage just to be able to generate more business. Mm. So I had lost practically everything. I was living on referrals and I didn't wanna lose that last income stream because somebody might go, oh, well, she's too sick. I can't refer her right now. I need to give her space. But it's like, no, I really need the money right now. Wow. So, you know, but that's the thing is that that's part of the reason why people like me don't necessarily will be fully authentic about certain things Mm -hmm. because of that. It's so funny. As you're sharing this, I was just thinking back to uh, one of our previous interviews with Kimberly Woodchurch, who uh, she went through a battle with cancer and she's a digital illustrator. Oh, cool. And yeah, she's amazing. And so same kind of, she pretty much said more or less the exact same words. So when she was sick, she was worried about not being able to get work and gigs and stuff like that because it was all you know events it was all of those types of contracts that she was relying on and and because she kind of had to say like hey listen i'm dealing with this thing but also worried about her income it was this really similar struggle I, i think it's a fierce reminder for us to be more conscious and more compassionate to the shit that people are dealing with, right. you know, just because they're going through some some stuff doesn't mean they're written off, doesn't mean they're completely right. unable to do the thing and just be a little bit more, a little bit more human with how we right. deal with these people. Well, but we also live in a society that everyone's can't, most people, unless they've really done the work on themselves, can't deal with pain. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think about how many people abandoned me when I was suddenly sick. And how many people didn't stand by me and and i don't blame them um because they just couldn't handle it and i think about a friend of mine that's going through something and everybody abandoned her except for one or two people because they can't handle it Mm -hmm. we live in a society where we can't handle other people's pain um 
But I also think now this is from my industry. I'm in the speaking industry. Mm-hmm. Motivational speakers, just get up and do it. Your thoughts create reality. Just there's so much shaming. Hmm. And it's like, you know, for me to talk about what I was going through would have just been, well, you know, you manifested this. It would have been all that shame stuff. Hmm. So I'm also in a business that I can't, you know, now I just call it out because I'm like, listen, people get sick. People have issues. People have like, I actually just call it out now. And I did a whole episode on it on my TV show, but I just call it out now because I, the whole self-help world, motivational world makes me sick. Mm -hmm. Most of it is just not real. Which is ironic. (laughs) It's not real. I have shared stages yeah. with some of the, when The Secret came out, I was okay. sharing stages with a lot of those guys and gals on on The Secret. Yeah. And I never name names because I don't feel like being sued. But <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you that thing. that was right. And then the 2008 crash happened and people were losing their houses. And, and this is when I had moved to the US. And I can tell you that those people would stand up there barking at the audience about your thoughts create reality. And if you're a winner, you're going to invest, you're going to take the next step. I'm going to change your life in a weekend. I'm sorry, you can't change someone's life in a weekend. Mm-hmm. If someone has gone through something, it's going to take a while for them to recover. If somebody is trying to learn a new skill and build a business, it takes a while. I, like we live in this instant gratification world where I don't know anybody who has created anything sustainable success-wise who hasn't had to work for years for it. Mm-hmm. So I watch these people selling snake oil to desperate people using the last money on their credit card, thinking this weekend with XYZ guru was going to save their life and save their finances, and then they lost everything and ended up homeless. Maybe not homeless, but I mean, they could end up homeless because they've literally lost everything. And then these same gurus would go up to the hotel room, we're all standing in, we're all hanging out and they're sitting there having wine. Oh yeah, I just lost $2 million in a deal. I'm like, didn't you just stand in front of a room and say your thoughts created your reality, you stupid asshole? Like, yeah. you know, and then there's one whose name you recognize, but I won't say, who's a freaking <laughs> drunk. I'm not criticizing her for having an addiction, but go get help instead of preaching to other people and making millions of dollars off of other people when you can't even get your shit together. You got to go on stage and get off stage and go drink yourself to an oblivion every night. Yeah. That's a, so, a sobering, no pun intended, reminder of, of, of who we, we idolize and who we look up to and why. And it, it, We need to stop the guru thing, stop idolizing yeah. people. We all got our shit and we all got our glory moments and we're all just people. It's true. We're all just people. It's true. I have friend who are like, friends who are like bottom of the barrel, making no money, barely scraping by to friends who are billionaires. I am not kidding you. I have that realm of friends. Mm-hmm. And you know what? My billionaire friends has just as many issues as my friend with a penny in their bank account. Just different problems. Yep. Yeah. It's, we all it's have right. our shit. That's true. We 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 certainly do. <laughs> we certainly do. Speaking of shit, uh, <laughs> question three is: How do you balance work and life? This is an area that I can be better at, and I'm working towards it. <laughs> yeah. Do tell. Yeah. So for me, it's extraordinarily difficult because I do live with chronic illness. Mm. Um, Every day my life is about managing illness. So Mm. for me, I have like, I do extraordinary things, but that takes a toll on my body. So I don't have time to do things like dating or going out with friends as as much as a normal person would. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's been one of the big challenges that I've had. Um, although I will say that through the years, because I've been very consistent and trying a bunch of different things, um, I've gone from not being able to sleep through the night and 
you know, having pain levels of 60 to 80% on a daily level to the point where my pain levels are now consistently down to five to 10% a day. So having said that, my capacity and ability to do things is significantly bigger, um, which is really, really good. So part of it has been really learning my entire life, how to release that trauma, how to heal my body from everything and recognizing I still have a heart condition. So I definitely need to be managing it. So for me, work-life balance is a lot harder because of those issues. And I think I've done a pretty remarkable job of getting down to five to 10% level of pain and management of it. I'm in a little more pain those last few weeks, but that's because I've been literally moving for two and a half months and without a home and have probably lived in about 25 different places in the last two and a half months between different hotels and all the traveling. So I, my pain wow. levels are a little higher, but that's normal because uh, I'm... For a healthy person, I would think would that's... Not, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> right. But what I will say is that moving forward, I mean, that's again, part of my mission about getting to New York is that I want to simplify my life. And that sounds crazy because New York is a crazy setting. Um, but <laughs> that's counter, yeah, counterintuitive. <laughs> but I generate business faster in New York City because I'm in person with people, mm. and the mindset and of business is different in, in Southern California. It moves faster in New York. Mm. So part of me being in New York is great because a, it's about my voice and my voice getting out there. But part of it is that I can generate business faster, which means I can work less and then give the work to my team. So I could work less, be able to go after my dreams and actually be able to do things like date and have a life. So at this moment, I'm working on it, <laughs> but it's not anywhere near there yet. But I have a plan. I have a plan and I'm doing it. I'm so proud of you. That's <laughs> awesome. It's, it's amazing because especially dealing with chronic illness, that is a lot of stuff to manage. And so sim simple, quote unquote, simple things like going out, like being able to yeah. date and explore all those other things. It's just we take a lot of that for granted, having a healthy body. Right. Yeah. So I but I also feel like I'm blessed because I understand what the meaning of life is a little bit more like I have like it's it's I'm so ambitious because because I've had to fight so hard. Right. I mean, I see some people and they have no fire and passion and it makes me sad for them and they're healthy but they've never had enough resistance or enough challenge to have to force them to fight harder, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's true. I, I think there is a different level of, of being grateful that comes when people are thinking about, oh, shit, I need to, to balance work and life. You're like, I get to balance work and life. This is amazing. This is something that I can do. And obviously, you know, we'll work out the details, but you're here. You're doing it. Thus the ambition. Yeah. It's so, exciting. Yay. <laughs> so with that, question four. And you've been very open and candid with us already, which we really appreciate, is can you tell us about a difficult moment in your life? I'm sure there's been a few. Mm -hmm. Wow. A difficult moment in my life. Yeah, there's really been a lot. Um, more than a moment for me is that it's a series of moments that's happened that's a pattern that is difficult for me when I absolutely know my truth and then I'm dealing with someone who keeps trying to confuse me and trying to kind of like a, like a sociopath. Like if I've dealt with a sociopath or a narcissist, right? Mm -hmm. They're pretty similar. Um, how do I fight back? And I've actually learned that with people like that, you can't fight back. 
And you just need to let them be right and walk away because it's okay to. And it doesn't mean that it's a loss of power because my whole life is about how do I get my power back? How do I let my voice out? And then when you're dealing with someone who's like a narcissist, you can't because they have to be right all the time and they confuse you and they they gaslight you, right? They're constantly mm-hmm. confusing you. They groom you. Then they, then they confuse you and then they blame you. And then suddenly, right? And mm-hmm. so it's been one of those things of, when I occasionally have to deal with people like that, how do I hold my power and state what's truth, but somebody who can't hear the truth? That to me, it's not really one difficult moment, but that's Mm -hmm. a series of like, that's a weird place of like, I'm going to be in my power and I'm going to speak my truth from love and peace and gratitude Mm -hmm. and from a space of feminine power, not blame, but speak the facts. But if somebody can't hear You're wasting your energy. Right. So how do I find my power and feel like I haven't been suppressed? That's, does that make sense? It does. It's a weird kind of a place to be in. So when you share that this has been a pattern, I mean, where my mind goes and which makes sense is you probably have seen this in in romantic relationships before. Interestingly, it hasn't been in romantic relationships for me. Oh, that's funny. Maybe yeah. I'm projecting. No. <laughs> no, no. My current one's amazing. My current relationship's yes. amazing. But Hales I mean, and in, in, yeah, yeah. Right, right. I know, I know. But uh, no, in the past, for, for me, sure. It's yeah. been more business wise oh, because I'm so talented. Men try to get me into situations where they want to work with me, and, you know, and then I have to stand up for myself. Okay. Right. So that's been something that's been really interesting. And so what I really learned is, is first of all, in business, you document everything as in an email and you document everything mm. because fact trumps anything. Hmm. Fact is fact is fact. Um, but you also can't argue with someone who's refusing to see and will find a way to twist it. Okay. So what I've learned in business, because unfortunately, I will probably still get so I mean, I'm in business. I, I talk to hundreds of thousands of people a, a year, not yeah. a week, but like a year. <laughs> like a I interact with a lot of people. And, yeah. and I try to be really careful about who I take on as a client. Um, I really do screen the people in my circle, but sometimes you just can't help it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like there could be something where I'm hired by a corporation and the person who hired me is great, but now I have a team of 10 and I've got two a-holes on the team that I've got to deal with, right? right? You can't control certain things. So when, within my control, I'm very careful, but sometimes there's certain things that are out of control. So a lot of it has to do with documenting fact, not over-explaining. This is just what I've learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking to my inner child around, no, no, you don't need to be right. Cause it's just, it's, it's actually just about working through this. You don't need to be right. Just stick to facts, keep iterating facts. Do not over explain and do not apologize. That's key. Right. And then it just becomes, well, if I'm wrong, I'm willing to be wrong. Whatever your name is, please show me on paper what the facts are. And then they usually go away. Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually felt flavors of this in my professional life, too, now that you're talking about this in more detail. And I've experienced the, uh, at least I've had a couple of pep talks from, from lovely colleagues that have said, ask more questions. Ask more questions to understand the why, to clarify exactly what they're trying to call you out on, and then bring oh, in the facts. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And, uh, and in asking the why, you can keep being very like, emotionally stable, like very just disassociated right. from, from any emotion of it. Um, in being able to do that, then you really can sometimes uncover 
the root cause or the root reason why this you know bullshit is sometimes coming out you're like this this is ridiculous seems to be coming out of left field or you're just flexing some ridiculous part of your personality so yeah this this is really good advice oh good i'm glad (laughs) i think the biggest thing is i just don't need to be right and i don't need to be liked at this point i just don't care f you like, yeah. just don't care. If you don't like me, fine. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah. And and it's interesting because it goes back to that that feeling of wanting to be validated all the time. Yeah. And is that a women thing or is that just those who <sighs> that have been through certain things thing? I, I feel like it's it's I feel like it's not just women. And I, I've seen it. I've seen it pop up. I mean, in my life, it's more, you know, in my spheres, whether it's work or hobbies, et cetera, or even on, on social media. It's people that are very explicitly looking to be validated over and over again. I've even seen it or I've heard it come through conversations with girlfriends of mine and the people that they're dating, which are sometimes guys that are looking and seeking for that validation. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think... I think it's everyone. I think it goes back to the we've all suffered some degree of trauma. We've all have we all have our shit, whether we're still in denial of it or not. And how we how we sleep better at night or how we make ourselves feel fine or how we express that or, or release some of that is is the difference. Yeah. <sighs> Man, this well, is heavy. It's so, heavy. I know. We need some humor. I need to bring in some comedy or song or something. No, I know. I know. I know. Well, uh, you know, question five is who or what inspires you the most? So I feel like we have an opportunity to bring in some levity. <laughs> yes. Who or what inspires me the most? A lot of the people in my circle inspire me the most. Like I've already talked about Dana, who started mm-hmm. out as my coach. She's now my best friend. Like my friend, Barb Stuhlheimer, my friend, like I have so many amazing friends, Katie Bray, like I'm surrounded by amazing women and men mm-hmm. um, and who are just people who show up with so much love and can hold the space and so much strength and be so willing to look at themselves and be so willing to to dig in and do what it takes and show up like a rock. And I mean that in a good way, you know? I just, I'm so inspired by the people in my circle, by who they are, how they show up. And I'm inspired how bloody smart they are. They're also smart. (laughs) I'm like, I must be surrounded by the biggest geniuses in the world. I mean, it's just, I'm really, that's what really inspires me. But nature inspires me. I mean, nature inspires me. I mean, I'm driving here and I'm like, look at all the trees are so pretty and how (laughs) magnificent and amazing and how, I mean, I'm just in awe of life and I'm in awe of strong people. That's a great way to to seek that inspiration is is what is already around you as opposed to something that's fabricated. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do fake. <laughs> Except for the nose. I did have a nose job when I was 17. Oh, really? But I did. I hated my nose. I had the typical big schnauzer, you know, Arab nose. It's so true. <laughs> have you seen a lot of Arabs have that big schnauz of a nose? I have one of those. It's um this is a better looking nose, even after it got broken by the Person by the here. bouquet. <laughs> by the bouquet woman. Um, 
That's such a great life story. Uh, you know, bad that it happened, but it's I a actually good story. think if I, I was actually thinking I should totally write a book called like Pizza Parrots and Porno and Other Crazy Stories That City's Been Through. Something like that, because I've, I've literally have the craziest stories because I've really lived life. If I die today, people are going to say at my celebration, because I'm, don't just shred me up and put me in the river. You know, yeah. like in my celebration, people are going to go, yeah, she, she just really lived her life. There's, it's true. I mean, I've really had an extraordinary life. And hopefully many, many, many more yes, years me too. to go. I'm not ready to go because I haven't <laughs> finished stepping in my deepest truth, which is what I'm doing right now. So, Well, I'm excited to see you on Broadway. Ah, yep. I know. Everyone's like, I'm getting front row tickets. So I'm like, and backstage passes. Just come on different yeah. days because I can't have 50 people at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. I'll be like, I know her. <laughs> she taught me how to sing once. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. And we performed together once on that very, very weird gig. Oh, we did. We don't have to talk about that. No, in Mississauga, it was great. Yeah. (laughs) It was fun. It was fun. It's always life stories more than anything. Yeah. (laughs) It's like this giant stage outdoors in Mississauga. I know. And they chose to have like, because it was like a flapper show. Yeah, it was like. So they knew it was going to be somewhat sexual and it really wasn't sexual. No, no. It was not sexual. But then that guy who was introducing us, I don't know if he heard, when he came up after he says, oh, so if any of the guy, uh, dads in the audience or you know, children in front, you didn't hear that? He's like, if any of the children, if you're wondering why your dads are really hot, it's just because it's hot outside. I'm like, what? <laughs> he seemed really offended by I forgot it. forgot about that. And I was like, dude, like, get yeah. over yourself. There's nothing sexual in yeah. it. I straddled a chair once. <laughs> I didn't gyrate the chair. I straddled it once. Relax. Would someone please think of the children? Oh. That's so funny. Yeah. I Let's suppress was... children about healthy sexuality even more. Thank you very much. Yeah. I know. It was like 1920s flapper inspired dancing. And uh... I know. I was like, relax. I know. I mean, it was sort of like conser- conservative fun, population in the suburbs of Toronto. So, you know, it happens. It's fine. They weren't ready for us. One day we're going to do full up burlesque. Watch yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, hey, <laughs> that was bad. Uh, too funny. Uh, all right, moving on. Um, question six is What is the most adventurous thing you have ever done? So, <laughs> you said you've lived your life, so I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> What's the most adventurous thing I've ever done? Yeah, I do all kinds of crazy things. Um, that I, that I have to write this book now. Um, um <laughs> what's the most adventurous thing I've ever done? I, I think that most people looking in would say me driving across the country, cross country and over the border four times mm-hmm. by myself. Um, I would say the most adventurous thing I've done, this isn't the most, because I don't know what the most would be, yeah. but something that I did last year, which I don't know if it was adventurous or gutsy. <laughs> it was probably gutsy. So I was really, when I was driving across the country last year, not this year, because I yeah. did it last year too. I was driving through the Southern states and when I entered Georgia, within five minutes, there was a big sign saying gun convention. I'm like, okay, I'm really not feeling comfortable right now. I'm Canadian. We don't do guns. Of course. Of five course. minutes later. It's not that we don't have guns. But we don't have gun conventions an entire like. <laughs> so five minutes later into the drive into Georgia, I'm like, oh, look, a gun store. Another five minutes, I'm like, fireworks store. I'm like, what the hell do they need a dedicated fireworks store? Aside from like New Year's Eve and 4th of July, what do you need fireworks for? Another five minutes of driving another gun store. It was alternating between fireworks stores and gun stores. Like billboard after billboard. Um, 
with the, with the occasional sign about repenting. And I'm like, what am I repenting? I don't know. I'm just driving. Leave me alone. Too so, many fireworks and guns. Too many fireworks and guns. I'm not the one that needs to repent. So I'm like, Jesus, these people are really like into their ammunition down here. It freaked me out. It was like yeah. made me really uneasy. Yeah. So I was like, well, Cindy, don't be so ignorant. You should be. You should be um, you should be open minded and generous in spirit and and seek to understand, right? So as I'm driving across the country, you know, through Alabama and Arkansas, and I'm just right. So as I'm driving every two, three hours, I have to stop. And usually I'll stop at like a Starbucks or Panera Bread or whatever. Yeah. And I sit down, I take a good like half hour to relax rest. So I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask people why they own a gun. I'm gonna be open minded. Oh, snap. Oh, no. You don't want to know the answers. I wish I had a hidden camera. (laughs) Lori, I wish I had a hidden camera. I'm like, no, you weren't being close-minded. So I'm driving across the country and I'm asking you. So I'm like, oh, just, just, oh, so where are you from? Oh, yeah, I'm from Canada. So, you know, as a Canadian, I'm actually like seeing all these gun stores. I've never seen gun stores advertised everywhere. Is this like normal? They're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, so do you own a gun? Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, so most people owned a gun in the South that I talked to. And I said, okay, um, why? So I asked questions like, why did you own, why do you own a gun? How many guns do you own? Um, Do you have children? Are you worried about the children? Uh, You know, so I'm asking all these questions questions. And I have to tell you, I really wish I had a hidden camera because these answers made no sense to me. I mean, so about 50% hadn't actually had weapons training, but they own a gun. Uh, About 50% of the people had more than one gun and didn't own a farm. It's not like they needed guns. Right. Um, it just seemed like they like to collect guns. A lot of them, I really should pull this. I should have pulled it properly, but it was around 50%. Um, 50% had more than one or 50% had guns in general? More than 50, but most had a gun. Oh, wow. Most had a gun. Um, and again, this is just me having like dozens of conversations. This right. is not a proper like yeah, yeah, yeah. Not research a scientific study. study. Okay, yeah. just, and it, it might have been that I just happened to meet people who own guns happen to like Panera Bread. I don't know why, <laughs> but um, me and my broccoli soup, I can't help it. It's my addiction. <laughs> I mean, it's addicted. really good. It's good. It is really good. Yeah. And those really yummy kettle chips. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I'm asking these questions and I'm like, so here's what I've learned. Cause then I would say, well, are you worried about having a child, child, you know, in the house? Oh no. Um, we lock it in a safe and we sell it and we, and we separate the bullets. So I'm like, okay, wait a second. 50% of you don't have weapons training or adequate <laughs> weapons training. And you are having a gun in the house to protect yourself from, for, you know, from whatever, to protect right. your family. And you've put the bullets in one place and the gun in your safe. And the majority of us are walking around traumatized, which means that if somebody tries to break in your house, you don't have actual training to be present in your body to deal with this effectively. You're going to go into fight or flight. And then you're trying to get a gun out of a safe and remember the code when you're freaked out to a gun that you then have to find the bullets and load up the gun. And then you're going to try to shoot somebody without weapons training. And you're worried about the children um, and I'm sitting there going, this is a bloody comedy routine. I'm actually working on a comedy routine around this because it makes absolutely no sense. I'm like, you're putting your family in danger. And by the time you actually get this gun out of the safe and load it up mm-hmm. and get the bullets from somewhere else and load it up, the robber's already in your house. Yeah. You, you realize that you sleep with a cell phone on most people. It's ridiculous. You're addicted to your cell phone. Mm-hmm. You could have dialed 911. It would have taken less time. Yeah. Like it makes no sense to me. And then yeah. I'm like, and then I, you know, I would prefer to see people working through their trauma and teaching their children how self-defense and how to read people and how to read body language. And like that, I've been more
more worried about my child walking to school every day and back. I would want them to learn self-defense and how to, and, and like defense tactics and how to read body language and how to use their instincts. Mm -hmm. That is better to self-defense and having a gun in the house you can't even shoot. One woman leaves a loaded gun under her pillow when she slaps, sleeps. And I'm like, okay, so let me, let me get this straight. <laughs> I hope she doesn't uh, have it's vivid dreams. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking like, okay, so you're, you're, it's thundering outside. You need to go to the bathroom. It's three o'clock in the morning. You go to the bathroom, but you know, Maria Von Trapp isn't here to, to soothe your little children. So your little children are running in the, in the bedroom to see you because they're scared of the thunder and Maria right. Von Trapp isn't there. And what do they do is they find the gun and they shoot themselves. Like this doesn't make any sense to me. Am um, I just losing my mind? <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> I, th I think I think everything you're saying is perfectly reasonable. I mean, Thank I, you. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I'd be curious, like if anyone is listening whom uh, completely disagrees, like maybe there's a, a big fundamental piece could, of learning right. that no, I know. I mean, but maybe there's a, a fundamental piece of learning that we just haven't considered. I mean, I welcome it. I really do. I do. I mean, maybe I, there's something I haven't. Maybe there's something I'm missing. But I, I, I mean, <laughs> superficially, I I agree. And it seems like, considering the patterns we're seeing in the news of all of these really awful events that keep happening over and over again, right. and how easy it is to access and purchase firearms that are also of a pretty hardcore degree, with very little to no background checks, all of that stuff. It, it, it's really doesn't seem like a, a good situation. It seems like a perfect storm of disaster. It's just really. a disaster. It's a cluster freak. So, so being a Canadian <laughs> in the U.S., uh, and again, we've established there's a lot of wonderful people in the U.S. Yeah, of there's course. a lot. Of, oh my God, my friends but, are so amazing. Uh, of and course. And so my clients and, yeah. Uh, of course, but do you feel less safe as a result no. of any of this? No. Okay. And the reason why is because mm -hmm. I trust my instincts. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm, so... Even when I'm booking a hotel, mm -hmm. I use my intuition on where I'll be safe. Mm -hmm. I just trust myself. I mean, I'm, I'm small and scrappy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> small and scrappy. I um, got you. I hear yeah, you. No, I know, because you're smaller than I am. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's because I've done a lot of work on myself, and I trust my instincts, and I know how to read people. I mean, I do teach people presenting skills and body language for a living. Mm -hmm. So I can read people very easily, and I'm safe. I won't go drinking out at a bar when I'm at a hotel and then hope that somebody doesn't follow me back to my room. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, it's unfortunate that we can't do stuff like that, but we can't as mm -hmm. women. I'm Maybe I'm overly careful, but I'm very careful and I trust myself. Mm -hmm. And truly, if something's going to happen, it could happen anywhere. Mm -hmm. I got robbed at gunpoint in the middle of a suburb when I was 18 years old, in the middle of a suburb in, in Toronto. Wow. It's like in Mississauga, like <laughs> pretty safe city, like low crime rate. I mean, anything yeah. can happen anywhere. Um, I remember I had a student, I would go to their house and they lived with four floors in their in their house, like very, very expensive, multi, multi-million dollar mansions. And, you know, the maid got murdered next door. I mean, wow. crime could happen <laughs> anywhere. And I've lived in Harlem. When I first moved to New York, I was flat mm -hmm. broke and many years ago. And I lived in Harlem and there was a drug deal that was done right on my car. These guys were sitting on my car from mm -hmm. a trunk and I'm looking out the window. I'm like, well, they're not stealing the car let them do the drug deal yeah um, whatever i was gonna but, say like is it is it as bad as people think it is i don't know I mean, like, seen... is, or is it more just a like a a, a conception a conception that people might have about an area because I, I feel like that's the same well, thing you know i think it's like cities. i mean definitely there's parts of harlem that's been really cleaned up and there's parts sure. that haven't sure but i also was didn't not feel safe there was times i'd come back from something at midnight and didn't and i felt perfectly safe walking yeah. in harlem mm -hmm. that sounds crazy but no, but you know, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen. I mean, I've had yeah. crime happen to me in really nice areas.
areas. Mm -hmm. And I've lived in Harlem and I was fine. And there's somewhere else that I, oh, I lived in South Central for a while. That was a little scarier, actually. But I didn't feel scared either. I was like, oh, well, whatever. They're just people. It's true. No, exactly. <laughs> They're just people. If you say hi to them, they'll say hi back. I mean, I was in South Central LA for a bit when I first moved to LA 10 years ago. And I was like, hi, how are you? And the first time I was friendly, they're like, oh, hi. And then they would open <laughs> doors for me. And they were perfectly nice. It was not a problem. Just, you know, hi. whatever. They're just people. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so yes, I feel safe. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So question seven, what do you attribute your success to? Oh, I'm like a pit bull. <laughs> I think a lot of things. Part of it I've already talked about in terms of myself, but part mm -hmm. of it, um, I would say, is because I've surrounded, I've learned to surround myself with the right people. Mm. That's really important. I am so careful about who I interact with, who's in my inner circle. So I'm friendly to everybody unless they don't deserve it, then I'll put them in their place. But mm. I start out being friendly to everybody but I can read somebody pretty fast and I will make a decision whether or not I will allow them into my space any further. So I would say my success is partially because I've worked really hard, partially because I've been willing to look at my stuff, um, and partially because I've surrounded myself with extraordinary people who are stronger and smarter and better than me in a lot of ways who have loved me and, and helped me to grow and being so generous with me. It seems like from everything that you've been sharing, you are very aware of who is in your space. And I'm sure that's come from a lot of life lessons learned. Um, it's a really good reminder since in many times we justify why we should keep a friend in our life oh, or I've someone, you know, or even, even family members, even blood family members who are kind of toxic. Yep. Right. They're energy vampires. They're literally sucking your life force away and and not allowing you to flourish or maybe they're acting out because they see success or all that jazz, you know? It's a really good reminder. Yeah. It's important to put yourself in the space um, with people who are gonna love and support you for who you are and will love you through the ugly stuff because we mm -hmm. all have ugly stuff mm -hmm. and will love the crazy side of you. I was so tired. Like last night I was out with my friend Chris and his husband Gavin and his daughter Lindsay and I'm telling you, I was totally off the chain because I've been so tired. I was like off the mm -hmm. chain whacked and, and they were like, they were just going with it. And I'm been like, there. love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. I'm I'm so happy for you. You deserve Thank that. Thank you. Especially given all the, the shit. <laughs> <laughs> Literally shit that stinks. <laughs> all right. Question eight. What item or items could you never live without? Um, my magnesium calm. It's this dreamline that is like not that's expected. That's a first. That's a first. That's a tell, first. Tell us more. Yeah. So tell. Uh, so magnesium calm is a herbal supplement, um, and because I live with muscle spasms. Um, the magnesium calm when I, it's supposed to be drunk at night because it helps you, it relaxes your muscles and helps you to sleep. But I do it in the morning because after sleeping is when I'm feeling really stressed in my body. So I drink my magnesium calm, so I can't live without that. Um, 
what I can't live without is also, this is all health stuff because I've had to work so hard at having good health, my pregnenolone. So it's when you're in hormonal hell, okay. pregnenolone is your friend. Um, what is it? So it's it's a herbal supplement. Now I'm not a doctor and I'm not a naturopath, so go check with somebody. So don't take this unless you feel like it. But um, <laughs> so when I'm super stressed and going through a stressful time, my hormones go wacky and I have weird periods, hard periods, mm. PMS, like, oh my God, don't come near her like can't even get up because i'm like Ugh. Right. so lots of women can relate um so since i've been taking pregnenolone it's been amazing at balancing my hormones so i'm not a hormonal nightmare yeah <laughs> every month so that's like it sounds crazy because people are like oh i can't like live without my pillow or something i don't know what else but yeah i'm like really practical it's my health stuff i have this like neck thing that from my chiropractor that i can't live without or else it, you know for me it's all the stuff that relieves some of the pain of my every day that's really the stuff that i can't and i can't live without hugs and i can't live without sex oh yeah but hugs mostly <laughs> hugs mostly i need lots of hugs and touch oh yeah. hugs and touch it's the best it it's the best it is that's great though have you always had like difficult uh periods and difficulty with regulating no. hormones or is that a new thing no it's a it's a perimenopausal bullshit thing oh. <laughs> um, isn't it great to be a woman i uh, know and i've chosen not to have children um <laughs> so yeah, I haven't. I've had actually really good periods for the most part, but in the last mm -hmm. few years, um, it's been a little more difficult. But the, but it's totally you know just since I've been going into perimenopause, it's been difficult. But now it's not thanks to pregnenolone. <laughs> <laughs> Again, ask your physician or healthcare <laughs> provider. <laughs> Like we have a little a little commercial. Right. This podcast is not sponsored right. oh, by Pregnenolin. Oh, and I can't live without my Yoga Glow. I what? Yoga Glow, G-L-O. It is an app that you can have on your phone, computer, TV, whatever, that literally has over 4,000 yoga classes. Cool. It's awesome. And you can sort it by duration, the type of you know yoga class, if you need help with your, if you need to release in your neck, if you need to immune system support, whatever. So I literally can't. So I could be in an airport. I always get to airports early, A, because I love to socialize and meet new people and learn things. But partially, because I'll literally on my phone, pull up my yoga glow and say, oh, I've got 15 minutes. Let me choose a 15 minute class, stretch me out. And I'll just right in the middle of the airport, like with my little phone on the floor, doing my downward facing dog yoga. <laughs> You're doing yoga in the middle of the airport. Oh, damn straight I am. That's I got to go, listen, I'm going to be on a six hour flight. You know what that's going to do to a chronically ill person? I got to get my body limber. I do not care what people think about me. I should have my own reality TV show. I, I <laughs> Just follow me around because yeah. it's so crazy. I, it's I so would crazy. love to see that. I mean, <laughs> I, I wouldn't care. I'd be like, this is cool. Like, can oh. I join you? But yeah, that's that's amazing. It's just not what yeah. you typically see in the airport. I, I cannot live without my yoga glow. Like even in the middle of the night, if I can't sleep and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to sort through. I'm going to do meditation, yeah. maybe a 20 minute one and for sleep. And then 20 minutes later, I'm like, <sighs> you know and yeah. i don't actually snore but yeah <laughs> yoga glow is like it's the best 18 dollars a month i spend and That's i wish awesome. i had an affiliate program because i tell everybody and i sold at least 100 of them
them for these people. Wow. I'm going to tell them they should give me sponsor money for my TV show. I was going to say yes. at this point, I feel, I feel like, I feel like if anyone could do it, yeah, then I feel like you could. Yeah, I'm going to, I've already connected with them on LinkedIn. You know all about that. <laughs> I'm going to work on building that relationship with the uh, marketing director. Don't you worry. I've got a plan. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, it's awesome. I'll send you a free class. Ooh. Tell me if you want vinyasa or ashtanga. Just tell me the kind of class you want and I will send you a free class. Sounds good. Yeah. I, I'm always very pro-flexibility. I like the strength ones. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to give you ashtanga. Hardcore yeah. girl power. Yeah. Cool. All right, Amazing. that's awesome. I love it. Can't wait. <laughs> All right. Question nine. Is there anything you'd like to promote? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, my singing. So my singing, since I'm stepping into my singing, oh, I'm actually promoting my singing. CindyAshton.com. You can see my tour dates. There's none there at the specific moment because I haven't got to New York yet, but I'm going to start <laughs> doing comedic singing where I do wow. parts like where I weave in these crazy stories. So I'm working on my gun story right now, but we even like crazy stories with singing and create my own one woman show. So if you go to CindyAshton.com, then you can see upcoming tour dates because I actually have some tour dates not for my singing but i will be singing at those events so you'll see tour dates you can see me sing you can get involved and yeah i'm actually promoting my singing i'm so proud of myself <laughs> that's incredible what's your favorite musical i've always wondered oh that's a great question my favorite musical to watch or to or my favorite role that i really want to be on broadway for Ooh, both okay <laughs> so i am dying to do evita Ooh, i could do that role yeah. Strong woman and zesty and fiery. I could mm -hmm. totally do that role. Yeah, so, I think I could picture that. <laughs> yeah. And when I'm in my late 50s, I want to do Norma Desmond and um, um, Sunset Boulevard. I'm just uh, not there. I need another 15 years. Yeah, yeah. No rush. <laughs> no rush. I'm all right. Um, yeah. In terms of what I love to see, it just really depends. Like if I want something that's emotionally amazing and gorgeous music, I mean, <laughs> lame is. I mean, it sounds so like standard, but it's, it's, it's one of my favorites still years later. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there's so many great musicals out there. There's so many great ones. I haven't seen Hamilton yet. Apparently I need to wait two years on that. Once I get to New York, apparently there's like two years wait list or something. Yeah. It's also been on my to watch list too. And every time I'm in a city where it's there, it's like, I always have the same moment. I'm like, is it worth the really extortionately high ticket cost? <laughs> right. Really... I'm, like, I'm sure it's a good show. I want to support the arts, but I'm like, man, <sighs> I know it's like next level. <laughs> I know. So I don't know if that's one of my favorites yet. Cause I haven't seen it. Fair uh, enough. But, um, yeah. TBD. Yeah, I don't know, but I like the, all the singing, dancing ones, like Crazy For You, and like those are fun. I just love anything musical theater is happy for me. I like I know that. That's why I was like, oh, I wanted to ask you. I've always, I've always yeah. wondered. Um, also curious, what's been one of your most memorable gigs that you've done? Because you have been performing for a long time. Yeah, it would definitely be playing Miss Hannigan and Annie, in the professional production that was in Niagara Falls in two thousand and eleven. Amazing. Yeah. That's another role for me. That's my role. Like that's a yeah. role. Yeah. It was really sweet. When I performed it, um, I was tweeting out and at that point, Twitter wasn't oversaturated like it is now. And I was <laughs> tweeting out like, Hey, here's my performances. Miss Hannigan, little girls, little girls, my ugly singing. Um, and this guy who was a Broadway critic tweeted out and said, you should be uh, at Cindy Ashton 
did a better role of Miss Hannigan than our current um, Tony Award winning star on Broadway, because the Broadway show came out right after me. And on the one hand, I was like, Snap. I know, I felt really <laughs> bad for her. On the other hand, I was so like, and we've actually, this Broadway critic and I have stayed, you know, I met him when I ended up moving to New York two years later, uh, or a year later. And um, and he's like, yeah, you're one of my favorite singers. He's like, he's like, I just watched that footage. He says, you are as good as Carol Burnett. And I'm like, what? No, no one's as good as Carol Burnett. Um, but he's like, I don't actually think you understand that you are meant for Broadway and you're going to make it so big here. It's going to blow your mind. It was so he's like, whenever you do anything in the city, um, I will do a review of you and help push it out. So I already have an ally in New York. So I'm really excited. Ah, oh, that's incredible. Yeah. You deserve that. Thank you. Oh. So I was like, really? Oh my God. But I want to do that role again. That was fun. Oh, <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. And, and what about it made it memorable like in that particular role? Oh, that's a great question. I would say um, the thing about it is that it's fun to play the villain because I don't really want to do sunshine and roses. I want to dig deep. Why is she a villain? Mm -hmm. What really happened in her life? You know, like, let's dig deeper because she's, you know, she's just this woman who's lonely, who's had to take the brunt of everything and have had to make money for for her and her stupid brother who keeps blowing his money and coming and begging for stuff. Like, right. she's had to carry everybody and she's angry and she's resentful and she's sex starved and doesn't get touch or love. Like, mm -hmm. and nobody sees that when they're watching. They just laugh at her, this evil woman. Right. But I think the challenge of the emotional depth of playing a villain is easier than, oh, sunshine and roses. Look at me, I'm so cute. I yeah. like playing the villain or I like playing emotional characters um, because it allows it allows me to dig deeper. And again, clearly I like taking care of looking deeper. <laughs> For better or worse. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's one of the key themes from today. Yeah. You know, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Cool. Yeah. Well, our last official question okay. is... What is a lesson you learned the hard way that you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh. I know you've shared one or two already, but. <laughs> Something I've learned, it's it's not, yeah, it's when I don't, when I get that niggling and I don't trust myself, I'm like, ah, oh, freak. And then I got nailed in the ass after because I didn't trust myself. That's mm. really, it really comes down to trusting yourself. Every time I haven't followed my intuition, I've gotten kicked in the ass for it. And the thing is, is that there's so many times where we get an intuitive hint, we go, no, but this looks so great on paper. Yep. <laughs> it looks yeah. so great on paper. And then you get boom. And um, yeah. Yeah. Is there an example of that that's happened recently to you? There is. Uh, two or three years ago, I just am worried about talking about it because I don't want anyone to sue me. That's um, fine. So what can, I can will, you, uh, I'm trying to think of like how I can tell it without, without saying any names or, uh, defining features. Yeah. <laughs> so I had hired somebody to work with me on my TV show, Cindy Uncorked. Mm -hmm. And I had, I was like, I don't know, like his work is really great, but I don't really know if it's really the right thing to do. Um, but but his work is really great. I'm sure he's going to be fine. Like I had a niggling there. Something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And we did the first show. And then what I will say is that he decided that he didn't charge me enough and said, well, I'm quitting. Oh, other, unless you pay me triple. And he had all the footage of the show. Oh, 
And I have signed contracts with sponsors and I'm in the middle of my green card application right. and my security checks. So I can't have, I have to make sure the sponsors are going to be taken care of. Right. Because if they're not, then they might sue me when I'm in the middle of trying to get a green card that I had spent $160,000 in for in the last nine years and nine years of my life trying to get. Right. That was a really hard lesson of how do I navigate this mm -hmm. and not bankrupt myself and be slave to this person. Um, and, and when he has my footage that I can't just give it to somebody else. Like it was just a really weird situation mm -hmm. um, that I probably paid that price for a good year after. Wow. Probably a good year after because I had to navigate negotiating but not being so hardcore that things fell apart and then I got sued when I'm about to get my green card. It was a really, it's like, wow, you really should have listened to your intuition. Damn. How did you get out of that situation? My coach, Dana, the dominatrix. Um, she just was <laughs> she literally, beat him up. no, <laughs> uh, no. she gave me languaging. She gave mm -hmm. me languaging of how to approach it. Um, and so I counter offered in a certain way with certain languaging. Mm -hmm. And so he stayed on, but he continued to be troublesome for a whole bunch of other reasons. So yeah. it was just one of those things. It was very difficult. Um, it was, it took a year to unravel with him. Um, it was tough. It was tough. And that was a really hard lesson I had two or three years ago. Oh wait, uh, I got my green card a year ago. So that would have been two years ago that this problem had started, just mm -hmm. over two years ago. But it's done now. That's great. Well, yeah. trust your gut, trust, trust your, your intuition. Gut, you might lose everything you've worked for for nine years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that was really, my stakes were really high on that one. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sweating just listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, we're very glad that you made it through. I did. And for the best. And, and I have my green card. I'm yes. so happy. I can legally, I was legal before, but it was just work visas. So right. this is big. This is better. Yeah. And then next up, Broadway. <laughs> Cindy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, here. Julie. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for, it was an honor that you asked me. Thank you. Thank you to everyone listening. Amazing. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook at Legit Lady Podcast. That's L-E-G-I-T-L-A-D-Y Podcast. And on Instagram at Legit Lady Podcast. On Twitter at Legit Lady Pod. That's Legit Lady P-O-D. And please rate and comment on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you love what you hear, share it broadly and proudly. Thanks, everyone.